Welcome everyone. Uh, today we're very excited to talk to Simon, Dr. Simon, who works in kind of a lot of different fields, um, but we'll let him kind of chat about that. Welcome, Simon. How are you doing today? I'm good, thanks. Well, perfect. Okay, so um, we're just going to kind of start out with you introducing yourselves and kind of letting everyone know what it is that you do and what things are you kind of involved with, okay? Yeah, so it, I suppose it's it's sometimes difficult to know where to start just with a, you know, I've got a bit of a portfolio career kind of going on just at the minute. Um, so I'm largely based at Queen's University in Belfast. Um, I'm a senior lecturer of education, so I, I mainly teach um, agricultural technology students, but I'm also involved in looking um, at a proposal for another new veterinary school um, here, which would be the first in, in Northern Ireland, um, which is, is likely to be, a, uh, if it goes ahead, it's likely to be a joint project between Queen's University and Ulster University. So that's kind of my day job at the minute, but um, I was previously the president of the British Veterinary Association, the BVA. Um, and I have a number of legacy projects, really, which have, have sort of uh, carried over from my time as BVA president. So um, I still sit on the UK uh, One Health Coordination Group. Um, I'm involved with the Federation of Veterinarians of Europe, FVE, um, as the chair of the Food Safety and Sustainability Working Group. Um, and I do some work with the uh, uh, World Veterinary Association around One Health as well. I, I chair the One Health Education subgroup um, at, at WVA. Um, and I have a number of other roles which we'll, we'll, we'll maybe dip into as well. I, I am a trustee and an ambassador for a, a livestock development charity called Sendikai. Um, and I'm also a director of, of Vet Sustain. Um, but alongside all of that, I mean, I've, I've always had a real interest in the profession as a whole, the veterinary profession as a whole. Um, and I normally sort of help support, mentor um, around 10 vet school applicants each year from Northern Ireland, um, helping them with sort of looking at different aspects of their of their application from their application form right through to and um, doing practice interviews and things like that and um and i and alongside that um i'm a stem ambassador so I've, I, I do quite a lot of talks uh on veterinary careers and animal health related careers um, my role at Queen's is, you know, both with agricultural technology students, but I also um, do some lecturing on a, a master's degree in animal behaviour and welfare. Um, and we provide a lot of careers support um, for those students as well, looking to go out into the agri-food or agri-tech industries um, as a whole. So, yeah, a lot of, a lot of different hats, but um, that's just, that's some of them. Yeah, I mean, that's just, wow, like, as you've heard, there's just so much to unpack because there's really so much that you're getting involved with, which is incredible. And it just kind of shows how much there is to the veterinary profession as a whole and so many projects that are going on um, to do with so many different things. So let's just go back a little bit to kind of you going into vet school. What was that kind of like? How did you start your journey into the profession? And was there anything that kind of stood out to you in vet school that made you kind of go through this quite convoluted career path that you're on? Yeah, like, you know, there's, 
I haven't been, you know, some people talk about Simple Simon. I haven't been Simple Simon from the word go. I, I, I was one of those kids who um, I think decided I wanted to be a farm vet quite early on in my life. My dad was a biology teacher. We lived in the countryside and, you know, I was used to the, you know, cows coming in down our road to, to go and get milked in the afternoon and and you know so from quite a young age um i i have a, a photo that i use of me with my little britain's farm at, at about the age of four or five and you know i think from quite a young age i had a real affinity with farm animals and farm animal production um and i mean skip forward to you know going, going right through school um i didn't get my level grades the first time around, I got ABC the first time um, and I reapplied, well, resat. Um, I was one of the first people to go through Belfast Tech, resetting the A levels, having already got an A in A level biology, but they required all three at the one sitting if I was going to, if I was going to reset. So resat all three, got three A's the second time around um, and still still didn't get in um but i had offers the first year didn't have offered so many offers the second year um and i was holding an unconditional offer to study medicine in trinity college dublin i had but i i chose to go to glasgow to study dentistry because glasgow also had a vet school and well i thought i would chance my arm for another year and see whether i could transfer and for a variety of reasons i ended up transferring um, back into first year um, at vet school then, then a year later. So by the time a lot of my school friends were finishing their three-year science degree, um, I was finishing first year at vet school. Um, but do you know what? Skip forward 20 or 25 years, you know, it really doesn't matter. So for those of you that have maybe had a few hiccups this week with, with A-level results or... Um, you know, take take heart that uh, you know um, you can go through and you can end up becoming the BVA president um, if you've uh, if you've gone through resets and done a year of dentistry at, at university before before you get in. And actually, we were the first officer team la uh, the year before the last year really, um, where James Russell was junior vice president, Daniela dos Santos was president, and I was senior vice president. And all three of us had had a very circuitous route to get into vet school in the first place. Um, and uh, so it just goes to show you um, that, uh, you know, with a bit of determination, you, you'll, you'll definitely get there. But uh, yeah, I mean, once I arrived at vet school in Glasgow, um, you know, I, I, you know, I, I enjoy, I really enjoy my time at, 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 in Glasgow. Um, you know, I ended up sitting for about 10 years on, on the interview panel for, for Glasgow Vet School as well. So I've got, you know, quite a history of sort of working through university admissions. And that ultimately is, has helped me with the stuff that I do in supporting vet school applicants, um, uh, you know, on an ad hoc basis at the minute. But um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed the, the five years at Glasgow. I was student president whenever I, I, I uh, qualified in final year um, as the president of the Glasgow University Veterinary Medical Association or GOVMA um, and uh, yeah had a, had a fantastic time when I was when I was there and look my, my passion was always really kind of farm animals and to a lesser extent horses I never really kind of saw myself going into a career in, in uh, small animal work but um, did what I needed to do to get through my finals and um, and came out the other end. Um, but yeah, look, I mean, a few sort of standout moments from, from my time in Glasgow. Uh, I was the first year to qualify. I qualified in 2000 and we were the first year to qualify with full 
AVMA accreditation. Um, and at that stage, we only had a, a, had a handful of, of North American students in our year, but um, certainly it was, a, it was a huge thing for the, for the, for the college to have that um, accreditation and, and the work that went into to getting that as a, not just as a route for people to work in North America, but, but also um, as a, I suppose, a quality standard. We knew that we were at one of the best vet schools in the world, um, you know, with, with having that, um, that level of accreditation. Um, but yeah, I, I have to say, fantastic time. Enjoyed enjoyed the the course. Enjoyed my time there. Kept in touch with a lot of people um, thereafter. And um, yeah, it's it's you know, it, it really was a fantastic foundation for me. Um, you know, in the early part of my career. Absolutely. I mean, I like that you touched on sort of non traditional routes as well, because like this week in particular people must be like absolutely despairing I've not got the grades what can I do and so it's just nice to hear stories from people that like oh I'm not alone people have done it and I can do it as well um so that's really really nice um so like always having an interest in farm animals um when you sort of were in your final year and you graduated did did you see yourself in the future as just sort of being a farm animal clinician forever or did you envision yourself sort of doing the other things you do now sort of food safety and one health related not in not in the slightest i very much left vet school expecting to go out into into farm animal practice and and be there until i retired um the first job that i was in was a um was a, a practice that i'd seen a lot of practice with i'd done a lot of my ems at, at a practice in west Stirlingshire. Um, and it was a small team. It was a husband and wife, and and a, and a number of of uh, assistants. I worked in practice as well. Um, uh, mainly beef and sheep, and and you know a good good a good amount of of equine work. Um, but uh, you know ultimately for for a number of different reasons, family drew me home to to County Down, and and I came home. I was in a I suppose at that stage about twelve vet. Um, mixed species practice, but I worked on the farm animal side. Very progressive practice. A lot of progressive dairy farmers in this area in North Down, and uh, you know, and some really good terminal sire sheep, and some really good pedigree beef cattle as well in this area. And you know, I, I you know, I was, yeah, I was in heaven. It was, it was just, it was, you know, perfect, perfect job. Um, it was close to home, close to family, um, beautiful part of County Down still within good reach of Belfast, you know, for the, you know, the city and, um, but uh, yeah, really sort of progressive practice. But unfortunately it wasn't B, um, you know, and um, as fate had it, you know, five years after I qualified, I ruptured a ligament in my back. Um, I'm six foot four um, and, you know, between, you know, I think just general injuries and, and, you know, probably a bit of sport and so on when I was younger as well. Um, and I was early enough in my career, I suppose, to realize, you know, we talk about, um, you know, I'm good friends with, with Ebony Escalona and, and, you know, obviously she's done a huge amount of work around vet stego diversify. Um, and, and we've now coined the phrase, you know, our, our veterinary passport and what, what it can, what we can do with our veterinary passport. And I guess um, at that stage, you know, I, I maybe didn't realize the full potential of the veterinary passport and, and I was despairing that you know I'd, I'd worked so hard since I was little to you know become a farm animal vet and and all of a sudden it seemed to be evaporating before me and and I knew that if I pushed on 
every springtime it was just going to be you know it wasn't what my life wasn't going to be worth living so it just um yeah i mean i had to to look at a, a change in direction so i got involved with my first startup company um i was involved in setting up veterinary northern ireland which i i, I worked um for for two years um, I then moved into the veterinary research lab at Stormont and I was about seven and a half years there as a veterinary research officer um, where my, you know, I sort of picked up a bit of, um, picked up a bit of work in and around uh, research. I became an honorary lecturer at Queen's University, so I was doing a little bit of teaching. Um, and it was at that time when I was at the lab that um, I had the opportunity to look at aquaculture. Um, we had a fish diseases unit and the vet who was in charge of the fish diseases unit left to take up another job elsewhere. And I was asked to, to step into that role and, and I be, ended up becoming a certified aquaculture vet. Um, and I was able to use a lot of the principles of farm animal medicine and production. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I had about two days on fish in the entire five-year course at Glasgow. But um, but obviously aquaculture is growing at a, a, an exponential rate right around the globe. And I had an opportunity then to, to literally dip my toe in aquaculture. And, um, and that, that was really good fun. Um, I was you know, learning about a completely new species. And also kind of the little boy in me, um, there's, there's lots of tech involved in aquaculture. You know, they've got robots, they've got sensor technology, they've got cameras, they've got, you know, all over the, the fish farms. And, and I kind of really enjoyed looking at that sort of tech side of things as well. Um, ultimately, then, whenever I left the, the lab, it was to take up uh, a position in another startup company, um, which was looking at vaccine delivery, vaccine design, um, using silicon-based nanoparticles. So that was, quite, again, quite, quite an exciting time. But what I realized at that point was, had this farm animal experience, had a bit of research, a bit of academia, but it was all, it was all UK focused. And I needed to sort of understand a bit more about the bigger picture. And I was doing this work now. By that stage, I was doing a little bit of consultancy and um, working with startup and spin out companies in the agri-food, agri-tech space. And I set up my own consultancy business and left that startup um, to, to go into my own business. And I was then awarded a contract um, with what became the Department for International Trade um, as the sector specialist for animal science and aquaculture. And that then suddenly just opened up, literally opened up the world. And I, and I traveled all over the world for, for a few years working for DIT, representing the UK agri-food, agri-tech industry, um, attracting inward investment into the UK, working with the, some of the big companies like Zoetis and MSD and Boehringer, um, right down to really niche little startup companies. Um, but I had the opportunity to travel to India and to China, to Kazakhstan, to South Africa. Um, at one point, actually, was uh, accompanied the Prime Minister, um, who was Theresa May at that stage, um, to, um, to India, to a tech summit um, in, in New Delhi. Um, and uh, yeah, James James Dyson was there. The great and the good were you know of, of the UK were 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 at the tech summit in, in New Delhi. So yeah, fantastic opportunity just to kind of see animal health and the veterinary sector in a much much sort of bigger picture. And um, yeah, that was that was that was that was a really exciting time. Um, so my heart was always in and around um, veterinary politics, and I'd been the 
branch president of, of the BVA in Northern Ireland. Um, and ultimately that then led me on. And uh, with all that kind of mixed background in trade and investment and in farm animals and in political representation and, and everything that I was sort of done up until that point, I was in quite a unique position then to potentially lead the BVA through EU exit. Um, now, obviously the dates for it got pushed back and pushed back. So between myself and Daniela, we kind of, I did the first bit and, you know, it's like a tag team. She took over and, and, and followed it through. Um, so she was actually president at the time we actually left the EU. But, um, you know, we've done a lot of representation um, uh, for, for, for vets in and around that um, beforehand. So you can see, you know, I, you know, I talked about my veterinary passport. Um, I've had the opportunity to kind of do lots of different things in 21 years, but it's it's been a really fun time. And I think, I suppose my piece of advice there would be, you know, even if you've got some idea, you know, you might have an idea that you want to be a small animal vet and you go through vet school and you go out and you have a really successful career as a small animal vet in general practice. That's absolutely fine. Um, and, and, and we shouldn't discourage, you know, we shouldn't discourage that, that, kind, of, uh, that kind of approach. It's always good to have a, have a plan in, in place. But I think there is also, we talk a lot about resilience within the veterinary profession and there is a, there's an opportunity for us just to, to think if, if life circumstances push us in a different direction, there are lots and lots of different opportunities for us. Um, you know, and I, I, even looking back on what I've done, I, I could have probably picked up any one of those and run with it. You know, I could have probably run with aquaculture. Um, I probably could have run with just being purely in academia. Um, I could have probably run with some of the stuff I've done around business development. But I am quite fortunate now that having all of those interests and, and particularly in around One Health and Sustainability, I've been able to kind of produce a relatively balanced career portfolio, which allows me to still be involved in, in all of the different things that I'm really, really passionate about. Um, so yeah, it's, I think it's, it's good to have, it's good to have ideas, it's good to have plans for, for the future and a direction of travel. Um, but I think, you know, we can certainly, um, I would hope that people could, you know, take my example as, you know, as a, as an example of where you can go in, di in different directions. You don't need to go in all of the different directions that I've gone on, but it's, um, yeah, but it's been a fun journey. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's really incredible to kind of listen to your story because it really is like a story. It's something you would listen to like by the campfire and just be like, wow, this is amazing. I mean, you do really represent how driven and amazing being a vet can be because it can really, if you use your imagination and kind of, your skills, you can really end up anywhere. And I think that's also why this kind of series of talking to different people in different careers was so important to us because there's so much to the veterinary field. Like there's so many things that are really incredible that you might not consider even during vet school, which I think people should really consider. Like I did a, an aquaculture project in Milan in Italy in third year with some, um, with like a startup business that was around like kind of, um, more sustainable food sources for fish and, and stuff like that. And it was fascinating. And it was something I didn't even think kind of like existed really. I thought we had, yeah, those three lectures you mentioned about aquaculture that was like, this is what the fish diseases are, but there's so much to developing sustainable 
food resources and kind of moving the future towards somewhere where we can you know feed the world really through um technology and science so there's so much really that you can do um and it's just absolutely incredible to hear from someone who's been through all these things really so um it's been like it's amazing yeah um, i think i think you, i mean you raised a, a really important point there i mean quite rightly our uk veterinary curriculum is largely focused on preparing vets for the uk job market you know, that's quite quite right that we do that, that, you know, we've got small animal vets that are going to see the stuff and do the surgery and whatever that we do in the UK, that we've got farm animal vets who are, you know, are, who are predominantly, you know, going into, you know, beef, dairy, pigs, poultry, sheep, whatever, um, that we've got equine vets, and that we've got a, you know, a few zoo vets that can go and specialise in zoo medicine, you know, to, to for zoos and uh, wildlife parks and things like that. But but there is this kind of global picture, which you know, which which I think we have, and um, you know, certainly the the work that I've had the opportunity to do on a global basis, I suppose, has really kind of opened my eyes up to you know what is possible and and where we are actually really really well suited to adapt to working in different places and how we can how we can um, how we can assist with that. I, I mentioned some you know some of the stuff that I do with Sendakai is, um, you know, this is an organization which, you know, 31, 32 years ago, literally, you know, chartered a jumbo jet and, and, and sent some cows to Africa, um, you know, purely on the basis that they, the farmers were being told that they needed to get rid of these perfectly healthy animals because of European milk lakes and butter mountains and things like that. Um, and they realized that there were millions of people in the world that were starving and, uh, and, and this might create a, a solution and I mean okay 32 years later clearly we're not um, we're not flying jumbo you know jumbo jets of, of heifers to, to Uganda like um, as we were previously but technology has moved on um, we can source a lot of cows locally um, actually in a lot of the countries we work there are already a lot of cows there it's just about how they're managed so so a lot of the work that we do now is about training but actually um, you know, we can do a lot around genetics and genetic improvement. So, you know, it, it's an awful lot easier to take a flask of semen on a jumbo jet than it is to take even one heifer. Um, and you can have a great, greater impact with that. And that technology has moved on. Vets have been a hugely important part of that. Um, vets remain a hugely important part of, and, and particularly in, in Africa, in the African setting, um, paravets um, are hugely important. It's, teaching and providing information and training on livestock management. So at a, at a global level, in terms of, as you say, feeding the world, um, we have a really important part um, to play in that. And that's, you know, that's been kind of one of the things when, when I left general practice, I, I was really keen to have the opportunity to be able to continue to use some of those farm animal skills that I had, um, you know, to help in food production. And, uh, you know, I've been a, a, a trustee and an, an ambassador for Sendakai. And when I go out and I'm doing talks about our work, obviously there's a bit of credibility because I'm a farm animal vet by background. And, you know, I can, I can talk very freely and answer a lot of questions about how we work and, and whether we work. And, um, and particularly with all the talk of One Health and sustainability, it's kind of like, should we be actually encouraging anyone in the UK or in Africa to, to have livestock? You know, should we not be moving towards plant-based diets and all the rest of it? That's fine in the UK. You know, we, we can make a decision here to, to become vegetarian or become vegan. And, 
you know, have a plant-based diet that is balanced. That, that's a, a luxury that, that many Africans don't have. And, and actually to, to have a balanced diet, you know, meat and dairy remain a very important part of that. But it has to be sustainable. And um, there's no point in, in encouraging um, our smallholder farmers in, you know, the southern highlands of Ethiopia to, um, to have very large pets. Um, they have to be productive and, and it's through training and uh, encouragement that, you know, we can, we can actually do that. So at that global level, um, you know, vets can, can be involved in, in, in that as well. And it's been a real privilege, I suppose. I've, I've done some work with um, a Dutch company called Cow Signals Training Company, and uh, they take um, some, in many ways, sort of back to basic animal husbandry principles and, and apply them then to the agricultural setting. Um, and and they, they now have a Cow Signals East Africa version of their training, um, which, is, which is really exciting because it works for those kind of smallholder um, settings in, in, uh, in rural East Africa. And, and vets are involved in, in all those sorts of, um, sorts of different things. And ultimately, when it comes to production animals, yeah, it's about feeding the world. And whether that's in fish or meat or dairy or eggs or whatever, um, we, you know, vets have a really, really important part to play in, in food safety and food security. Definitely. I mean, again, we, we only touch on this at vet school, uh, as you say, to sort of think about situations in the UK and you only sort of look at it from that perspective. You don't think on that international level, I suppose, until you're exposed to it through work. Um, so it's really, really interesting to sort of hear about. Um, and you sort of mentioned um, with Sendakal, you're involved in training and you sort of have done talks and things like that. So um, education and being a lecturer at Queen's, I suppose that's something you're quite passionate about. Um, and I've seen as well, you've become director of Vet Sustain and launched that recently this year. Is that um, focused on educating other professionals within the veterinary world about sustainability and why it's important in what we do? Yeah, so so I guess there there were a bunch of us really who you know have been have been talking about this for a few years, and and a number of us are actually past presidents of the British Veterinary Association, and we we had, we we recognised that we'd shared interests in and around sustainability. But like you know, at the end of the day, you know, BVA can only do so much in representing the you know the whole profession and um, you know the interests of the whole profession, and obviously there are the specialist um, uh, interest organizations, so British Small Animal Veterinary Association for Small Animal Vets, British Cattle Veterinary Association for Cow Vets, um, Sheep Veterinary Society, Veterinary Public Health Association, all the rest of it. Um, and we were kind of very conscious that, you know, did we need yet another membership association to, to, to deliver in and around One Health and Sustainability? And we kind of came up with the idea that we probably didn't need another membership association but there was no harm in having a separate body that would be involved in training and provide resources. So I wouldn't say that our primary role is training per se, but it's we certainly are there to pull together all of the information that can help veterinary practices or other businesses become more sustainable. Um, and to, to provide yeah, tools and resources to really help them do that. But we were really keen that we would work alongside the existing organisations. So we, we have a good relationship with British Veterinary Association. Um, we are, have been working with SPIVS, the Society of Practicing Veterinary Surgeons. 
We're doing some stuff with BSAVA, the small animal vets. And um, we're also then looking at sustainability within the equine profession. And we've, we've reached out and we've got some contact then with BIVA, the British Equine Veterinary Association. And also then how that sort of fits with regulation. And, and so we've got, again, we've got links in with the Royal College of Veterinary Surgeons as well, who are looking at sustainability angle within things like the practice standards scheme um, that they have. So yeah, it's, it's very much about kind of joining up those dots. But again, at a global level, we didn't want to reinvent the wheel. We're working um, again with, you know, I've given talks to the American Veterinary Medical Association, AVMA, um, with the Australian Veterinary Association, AVA, um, and a number of other organizations around the world. I, I, I was invited to speak last year at, a, at the Caribbean One Health Veterinary Conference um, uh, albeit virtually, I didn't get to go. Um, but it was, uh, yeah, so that was really fun as well, just to, to have the opportunity to talk about what we mean by One Health, transdisciplinary collaboration, and what we mean by sustainability. This kind of end goal where somehow, you know, what we're doing is in balance with the planet um, and restoring some of that balance. So we've seen some really great initiatives and we've been able to sort of work with some really great people through Vet Sustain. Um, to start um, getting some of those resources underway. That we have a, a, a nice um, practice checklist, which is encouraging people to take small steps within their veterinary practices to look at how they can become more sustainable. So putting your waste in the right stream, looking at your use of single-use plastics and, and how you, you know, recycle things, how you, um, even the food procurement, you know, where, where does your, you know, food in the veterinary practice come from? Um, and just getting people to think, you know, in, in that kind of manner, uh, you know, are they buying milk, you know, that's RSPCA assured? Are they, you know, um, looking at, at farm quality assurance schemes when they're, you know, when they're doing their shopping and, and working with vets and vet nurses and practice staff to encourage sustainability within their own lives as well as within the practice. Now, clearly there are other practices who are going out and, you know, they're only buying electric vehicles and they're putting solar panels all over the roof. And, um, but starting sometimes with, with lots of people taking small steps can, can really have a, probably a bigger impact in sustainability of the profession as a whole, rather than just a few people who are looking at it in a very niche, um, niche way. So yeah, the, the checklist is a good example of where we want every practice to start doing one or two things this year and one or two more things next year. Um, and uh, and that, that, that can have a real, real, a real impact. And clearly there are leaders as well. Um, we've got, you know, one of the big veterinary practice groups has just managed to completely eliminate the use of nitrous oxide from, from all of their anesthesia. Um, and that's a, that's a bold step, um, but, but it shows it's possible. You know, you can, you can produce good anesthesia protocols without the use of nitrous oxide, which is um, many times more potent as a greenhouse gas than carbon dioxide. So it's, um, it's things like that that we can all be doing um, to, take, um, to take steps forward. Absolutely. I think it's like you said earlier, in this country where we have sort of the luxury to choose and like perhaps, okay, maybe I'll cut down and have meat once or twice a week rather than sort of every day and things like that, where we have that kind of luxury to be able to decide, okay, what can I do? Um, you can make those small steps. And again, it's sort of taking that thinking and applying it, like you say, across a 
large group of people that can really have an impact um so that's really good but i can imagine it can be quite hard to sort of try and um in a profession where perhaps some people are quite old school quite traditional how what are some of the challenges associated with sort of like spreading this new way of thinking yeah you're, you're right it it, it, it it getting that momentum built up and that's why was you know i mentioned you know but taking small steps i think if we try and you know suddenly um try and turn everybody around to you know um making huge investments in you know renewable energy or whatever it would happen to be um electric vehicles and that kind of stuff you know the, clearly that's not for every practice just overnight um but it's a, it is very much about taking those small steps and actually you know a lot of them can actually have a make a real difference in terms of your cost you know if you if you we talk in terms of if you stream your waste properly um, and reduce the amount that's going to landfill or to, for incineration, um, you're going to have an impact on the environment. That's a positive impact on the environment. You might actually reduce the costs of taking of your waste disposal as well. If you put everything in the right bin and you can recycle what you can recycle, um, you might actually reduce a lot of your overall waste costs as well. So you can actually have a financial benefit to the practice. Um, and for those people that are looking at, you know, green energy or or whatever, there are grants available. So, I mean, it can be sometimes cost effective to, to look at having solar panels or some kind of wind turbine or something. Um, apart from anything else, I think you can't underestimate the positive influence that we can have with the general public as well. So there's the, the, there's the veterinary profession and convincing our colleagues that, you know, this is a, a good direction of travel. Um, but we also have a, have a role to play, you know, in, in influencing the public as well. If we as a profession can stand up and say, well, this is how we're, how we're working going forwards. And this is, you know, and you can take the opportunity in a practice newsletter or on the practice website to say, you might've noticed our lovely, um, you know, wildflower garden, um, you know, as you've been coming into the practice, you know, we've purposely planted that to, to uh, you know, positively influence pollinators and, you know, and insects and biodiversity within the, you know, the, the, the grounds of our, of our practice. Um, or, you know, when you're talking to farm animal clients, you know, to, to run a, a farmer workshop on renewable, uh, sustainable agriculture, regenerative agriculture, now, again, not every farmer is suddenly going to go out and plant mixed swords and, and you know, go nuts for biodiversity um, overnight. Um, but we start helping as a veterinary profession. We are providing some leadership and we're, we're getting farmers talking about those now. And certainly when I'm out on the road here in County Down, you know, I can see where some of the farms that I was visiting 15 or 20 years ago are now doing things like, Okay, so yeah, it, when you're looking at uh, regenerative agriculture, you know, the, the, it's not every farmer that's suddenly going to take up, um, you know, biodiversity and uh, mixed swords and, uh, and management of hedgerows, but, but we are seeing a, an awful lot of improvement. When I look at the farms that I drive past here in, in County Down and, and how they've moved on in 15 years since I was in general practice, um, they are doing much more around managing their hedgerows and planting, you know, herbal lays and, and things like that. So um, 
clearly there is an interest on the in the part of our farmers and i and i and i can't help thinking that if we can work with farmers and and improve their interests in sustainability we must be able to work with our with our senior colleagues um as well but i think through the veterinary associations and through vet sustain i think if we keep talking enough about it um i mean a few years ago the whole kind of concept of a climate emergency was you know it was oh, it's, a, it's a bunch of crazy tree huggers talking you know um and then you know we've gone through the you know extinction rebellion type um type phase and we're we're at a point now where the general public are really kind of getting to grips with the fact that yes we are in the climate emergency you know you only need to look at the floods in germany or the wildfires in turkey and greece or the wildfires in australia or the wildfires in canada and clearly the climate's changing you know um even the hot spell that we've all enjoyed, I think, um, you know, in the UK, you know, is is a little bit artificial whenever you sort of think about what, you know, when I think back to when I was a kid, you know, um, summers, summers weren't as hot, the winters weren't as wet. Um, and so we're seeing more of these extreme weather um, conditions. And I think the general public is waking up to the fact that, yeah, climate change is a real thing. And, and I think even with, with COVID, um, again, sort of linking through that kind of one health piece that we've had this spillover of this coronavirus from probably from from some kind of wildlife source, and then people then have started drawing parallels to, you know, Ebola, and now there's an outbreak this week of of Marburg virus in 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 Africa as well, and all of a sudden we're seeing kind of these things, and people are thinking, okay, there is there is a link here between animal health, human health, and the environment, and um, and that's why, you know, I, for us as vets, we need to provide that leadership. We need to work alongside medical professions with uh, environmental scientists and, and so on to really look at creating viable solutions. Now, for, the, for vets in the animal health sector, we eradicated rinderpest from the, from the globe. There's only two, two diseases, smallpox and rinderpest, smallpox and people, rinderpest and cattle. Um, which have been eradicated from the entire globe. And that came through a coordinated response to um, designing, a a de de designing a vaccine, understanding how the diseases spread or epidemiology, um, how uh, biosecurity controls be can be put in place, how surveillance and testing is, is needed. And, and we're central to that. Um, uh, so it, it is really important that we can get a grip of all of that and really use our influence and provide leadership. And, and for those naysayers who, um, you know, they, it, like there'll always be early adopters and there'll always be mid and there'll always be late adopters. But um, the more that we can encourage our, our colleagues to join us, e even by taking some of those small steps, I think is really, really important at the outset. Definitely. And I'm, I'm so happy that we managed to touch on kind of the environmental side of things, because um, personally, like the University of Surrey, where I went, did have a lot of teaching about One Health, and it was kind of part of the curriculum from day one. And it kind of really highlighted the responsibility that vets have, not only in understanding that specific topic, but also in education of, of kind of the general public and understanding themselves kind of 
what it takes moving into the future to play such a big role and how the world's going to develop, which is so critical, especially with how quickly changes are escalating with climate change and kind of um, population changes. So it's really great to bring it to the ears of younger um, generations, perhaps that haven't really quite grasped yet how big of a role it plays in, in veterinary medicine and how big of a role vets play in the world kind of scale in general. Um, and it's something I personally am I'm very interested in and kind of I became plant-based about six years ago with kind of environmental reasons, but only from then I realized, as you said, that it's not just about a personal decision because a lot of times the environmental impact isn't just from humans consuming the product, but it's the product that goes into feeding cattle and kind of how we're feeding the animals that feed us as well. And that has a huge impact on the environment, landscaping, the uh, architecture of landscapes. And it's such a complex thing, which is why education, I think is such a, big thing because it's not there's no simple fix to it you know eating less meat is kind of a way we perceive that can help in the long run but there's so many factors that need to be kind of looked into because it's nothing is that simple so it's amazing to hear that there's vets like you that have put up you know so much time and energy into looking into what it takes to really make a change for the future which is you know so refreshing to hear um but going into kind of like a little bit i'm quite curious about your day to day because it sounds like there could be like 10 of you doing the role that you're doing because there's so many things you just have one big excel spreadsheet with all your kind of schedule and oh today i'm doing this today i'm doing that what does kind of like a day for you look like yeah i mean it, it i guess it's it's changed quite a lot in the last you know in the last year um as I've finished up at BVA, you know, I finished, I finished my senior vice presidency at BVA in September last year. Um, and really this year has been a year of transition, um, kind of coming out from the BVA stuff. I mentioned some of the other things that I'm doing with, you know, with FVE and WVA, which have sort of been, and, and one health coordination group and things that have been legacies from, um, you know, from my, my time at BVA. Um, but into into the role at Queen's and it varies um I guess a typical day varies a lot depending on the time of year I do a lot of teaching to agricultural technology students in first semester so that would be particularly late October November into the first part of December um I do a lot of my animal health teaching then in second semester, I, I teach on a business innovation and entrepreneurship model, module. Um, I also do a piece on global issues in agriculture. Um, and so, do, you know, there's a bit of teaching there. The master's students are, um, our master's students are, uh, you know, uh, doing their placement module, which I coordinate um, at the minute. And um, so they're all out um, they would normally be out all around the world. You know, with some of our master students in animal behavior and welfare would do projects in Costa Rica and South Africa and China and everywhere else. Um, a lot of them are, are still, because of COVID, they're, they're doing uh, kind of um, distance projects. So they're working on data sets on behalf of the organizations that they would otherwise be working for and, and um, I'm pulling a project together on that basis. Um, so our master students are, are kind of out at the minute. So I'll spend some time maybe answering queries from them just about the 
um, how they're getting on, um, what they're, you know, how they're getting on with their assessments, which are due in at the end of August. Um, so we get them to do a piece on science communication. We get them to do a piece, a, a report, um, and then we also get them to produce a scientific poster um, on on, a, on one aspect of their 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 uh, study. So providing a bit of support for that um, at this stage. Um, I mentioned the, the vet school project that we're working on. Um, uh, so, you know, I could be called for a meeting with uh, maybe the pro-vice-chancellor or the vice-chancellor at the university to, to sort of update them on, on where we are with, um, you know, with that project, working with the external consultant at the Strategic Investment Board to make sure they have the information that they're, they're writing up the sort of business case for, for the proposal. Um, so providing information in there. Um, and yeah, I mean, in between times, I could have a call just related to what I'm doing at Vet Sustain or some of the advisory boards that I sit on or, um, you know, for the Avatar Sector Group, which I, which I chair as well. So I, yeah, I mean, no, no one day is the same. No one day is the same. Um, and I suppose in the virtual kind of world that we're in just now, sometimes it is quite difficult to, to switch off. You know, um, and particularly if I'm doing a bit of work across time zones, um, you know, it can be easy just to, you know, find yourself getting up early in the morning or working late in the evening. Um, and you do have to be able to kind of carve out a bit of time to switch off. So I committed when I finished up at BVA, I'd always wanted to learn to sail ever since I was a kid. Um, there's no boat or no sailors in our family, but I live very close to Strangford Loch, which is a beautiful part of County Down. Um, and I've got a good friend who has, has a boat, um, and um, so I've been learning to sail on her boat and taking a few sailing lessons, and um, yeah, I'm, I'm really fortunate in that um, when I do sort of switch off the laptop, um, I can be at the sailing club in about 15 minutes, and out in the middle of Strangford Loch in an hour, um, and uh, yeah, you definitely need to have that time to, to switch off, definitely need to have that time to switch off. Absolutely. I mean, that's so important at the moment. That's a big topic, I suppose, um, sort of looking after your mental health, particularly when there's, I feel like vets in particular, there's sort of, you feel like you need to be doing something all the time. There's lots of side projects and no, there's nobody sort of really stops and thinks about having time off because that's just the way we are. Like at university, other courses, perhaps you have 12, 15, 20 contact hours a week. And then for us, it's nine to five every day. So that's our normal. That's what we know. Um, and so that's really good. I really like as well that sort of, I often think, um, like I sort of, I play basketball at university, but there's other things I'd like to try out. And I often think, oh, I've never really done that before. Um, should I go and do it? So it's quite refreshing to hear you're so far into your career and you've picked up something that you really love, but kind of have never done before. So that's really, really nice to hear. Um, I think that's quite a nice place to sort of finish up and um, just sort of thank you really for sharing all of that with us. Um, it's been really interesting to listen to because everybody we've sort of spoken to so far has some sort of role in clinical practice at present. And so it's nice to hear about sort of a career um, sort of 15 years after leaving clinical practice and all the different things that um, are out there that we can do and get involved in and whether that's, I don't know, flying to India with the prime minister or educating vets on the ways that we can 
improve and become more sustainable in our day-to-day -day lives so thank you very much for joining us Simon I found that really really interesting to listen to you're welcome thanks for inviting me no worries at all it's been a pleasure and really honestly I've enjoyed it so much and I hope um, you guys listening are really really kind of soaking up all this information all this mm -hmm. knowledge because it's really a privilege to um, see kind of where you can end up like a story like this so Thanks so much again. It's been a pleasure and yeah, thanks for listening.